It is now that time of the service when we preach God's Word. If you don't know me, my name is David Daniels. I'm one of the elders here. And if I didn't catch you during greeting time, I have a question for you, which you have my permission to steal and use anytime you're trapped in small talk in the future. How has God been working in your life? Maybe he's been teaching you exciting things about himself in the Bible. Maybe he's been teaching you to depend on him as you obey a particular command of his. Maybe you have no idea what he's doing in your life. Maybe you don't even believe in God, at least not the God of the Bible exclusively. If that's you and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we're glad you're here because we actually think Everyone is here for a reason, and that reason is to come to certainty about specific things God has done and is doing. However, no matter where your faith lies today, we all have this in common. We never know everything God is doing in our lives, and often, especially when we're suffering, we'll have no clue what he's doing. God knows how hard that can be to be in the dark about where he's at as life's punching you in the face. And so God included in Scripture the words of a songwriter so troubled that he questions if his loving God has changed. If God's hand is not visible in my trouble, how can I trust he's still for me? God does not scold such a question. He inspires a psalm that speaks to it. Psalm 77. There, God teaches sufferers why they can trust that his love for them has not changed even when they see no visible evidence of his love. If you're not already there, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 77. Before we read, let us ask God to work in our lives today in the way he intended to when he inspired this psalm. Dear Heavenly Father, with the power you used to create a billion galaxies. Help us to love you with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength today. When you speak, things change. The spiritually dead are raised. Sinners repent. Sufferers are comforted. And saints are made more like your Son. Please work all these things and more than we could even imagine through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, 
My hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. If God's hand is not visible in my trouble, how can I trust he's still for me? If I seek the Lord to repair a relationship, to heal a body or to save a loved one and see no change, why wouldn't that change my view of God? Psalm 77 takes us inside the mind of a believer wrestling with this question in a two-part poem. Part one teaches us, in the day of trouble, remembering why God is worth trusting is hard. In verses 1 to 2, the psalmist is desperate. He's not praying in his head with his hands folded. He's praying out loud, hands raised. He writes, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. The first line in verse 2 would make a great motto any time we suffer. In the day of my trouble, I seek 
the Lord. Yet even the most well-placed faith and passionate prayer do not promise comfort when we want it. Before comfort can come, the psalm writer collapses under the weight of his grief, as does his optimism that God hearing him even matters. He says to end verse 2, My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Why would a believer who one moment is seeking God moan at the thought of him the next? Because when the one who could fix everything doesn't, thinking about that is gut-wrenching. Remembering God means remembering God not intervening. He becomes an elephant in the room who's easier to avoid than address. It's if, if you don't want to make eye contact with him. And if you make eye contact by accident, you try to push God out of your mind, lest instead of intervening, he just offer you counsel you do not want to hear. Have you ever been there? Moaning at the thought of God. Perhaps those are moments we'd like to forget because we're ashamed of them. If Paul could sing in prison, why wasn't my faith strong enough to worship God in my day of trouble? God inspired verse 3. For what? Why, why would he do such a thing? He inspired verse 3 if you look at the subheading of your song, to be sung in congregational worship. That must mean it's normal for a believer to be so undone by trouble they moan at the thought of God. We shouldn't aspire to it, but it's normal because we are broken people. Our whole selves, body and soul, have been affected by sin entering the world through Adam. And as Adam's offspring, we inherit his sin and are born broken. We can see the brokenness caused by sin in verses 4 to 6 in the psalmist's suffering. He tells God, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. In the day of trouble, 
remembering why God is worth trusting is hard. Because it's hard to do anything when, like the psalmist, you're too troubled to sleep, too troubled to speak, or too troubled to think straight. The psalmist tries to remember the song that soothed him in the night long ago, but his mind is instead flooded with questions. He writes in verse 6, Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Psalmist wonders if the circumstances haven't. God cannot have the same compassion if I still have the same pain. God still cannot be loving if I still cannot sleep. His promises must be broken if I sought him but could not find him. What might God think of the psalmist's questions? What might God think of our questions? Do our questions ever feel like they threaten our relationship with God? Like if they go unanswered for a season, then it's all over for our faith, if we ever had any. God must be more comfortable with our questions than we are. Because verse 9 is not the end of this song. The Holy Spirit does not abandon the psalmist and go inspire someone else to write a better song. The psalmist's story ends with neither moans nor questions because the Spirit keeps carrying him along. Psalm 77 teaches that faith in the darkness is a journey. The psalmist starts great, seeking the Lord, and then he's moaning at the thought of him, then he can't think at all, sleep at all, speak at all. And then when he finally can think again, all he has are questions. What an accurate portrayal of the Christian life. It's as if God knows us or something. In the day of trouble, it's hard for us to remember why God is worth trusting. But the journey is worth it as the second half of Psalm 77 teaches us. As we witnessed in verses 1 to 9, the psalmist is a broken person in a broken world. But he's not too broken for God. Not too broken by even sleeplessness, fatigue, or brain fog for God to give him a moment of clarity in verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. 
the light bulb goes on. My God is eternal. He's always been. He's got everlasting arms. Meaning, he's been here a little longer than me. And so I have more to build my trust on than how I can see God working in my life. I can build my trust on how God's been working forever. As verses 11 and 12 say, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The psalmist pledges not only to remember, but to set his mind on the resume of the Most High. A resume, kids, if you don't know, is a document you email companies you want to work for, listing your most impressive accomplishments. Traditionally, when you sent a resume, companies wanted you to keep it to one page for the sake of their time. But here's the thing about God's resume. You can't keep it to one page. Observe the thickness of your Bibles. God's accomplishments are unrivaled. And when the psalmist remembers this, he starts preaching. If you don't know, you don't need a pulpit to be a preacher. All you need is a mouth and memory of God's resume. And you can sit under your own preaching Monday through Saturday. And when the day of trouble shakes your faith, you can proclaim to God all the reasons why he's worth trusting. The psalmist starts his sermon in verse 13 like this. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? To keep your sanity in the day of trouble, you need to know God's way is the best way. It's holy. And so even if I don't like it, I can trust it. I can trust it because I don't just worship a God. I don't just follow one of many gods. The psalmist reminds himself that his God is the God, supreme over all other so-called gods. Is that offensive in a society with many beliefs? It should be no more offensive than saying Michael Jordan is better than me at playing basketball. Check the resume. Verses 14 and 15, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. The psalmist, of course, as an Israelite, is a descendant of Jacob and Joseph, whose children God redeemed by freeing them from slavery in Egypt. And the climax of that story is what? The Red Sea. One minute, the Israelites think they're the freest people on the planet. The next, they look over the horizon 
and storming after them is the most powerful army on the planet. Egyptian horses and chariots galore. And because the Israelites' backs are against the Red Sea, there's nowhere to hide. Israel looks at Moses and says, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the wilderness? They see no sign of God working in their day of trouble. And then, the sea begins to part and a walkable path forms. Seas have sunk a million ships and will sink a million more before they even consider obeying the command of a man. But when God tells the waters to part, they stand at attention, forming walls to the right and left of Israel as they walk across the sea on dry ground. And when Pharaoh and the Egyptian army pursue Israel into the sea, God tells the waters, as you were. And the waters collapse and drown the Egyptians as Israel watches from the other side, safe and sound. The Red Sea becomes the focus of this psalm in verse 16, as the psalmist uses it to illustrate God's unrivaled power. And he doesn't stop preaching until he's out of ink. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. Earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Does Psalm 77 end surprising to you? The psalmist after journeying through nine dark verses about suffering, starts preaching about the might of God that makes the sea scared, the sky erupt, and the earth quake. And then he says, yet your footprints were unseen. How anticlimactic. What's going on there? Why would the psalmist remind himself that God's footprints were unseen when he was making the sea stand at attention. Because if God's footprints were unseen to the Israelites when he was wielding that much power, then when I cannot see God in my day of trouble, that doesn't mean he's not moving heaven and earth. For my good. I picture the psalmist at this point thinking, wait a minute, this is how God's always worked. His unseen footprints in my trouble 
doesn't mean his love for me hasn't changed. It means he's working like he always has. Mysteriously, yet powerfully. Have you ever seen a child's footprints left in cement? That's not how God works. He doesn't leave a signature so everyone knows God was here. He tells us how he works in his word, and he invites us to trust that he's working. And not working somewhere, out there, but how close to us does verse 20 tell us he's working? You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The God who makes seas tremble takes his people by the hand. That's what the psalmist needed to remember in his day of trouble. Though God's footprints remain unseen, his mighty arm still leads me. In the day of my trouble, I can always say, I don't know what God is doing, but I know he's doing something. And I know he's doing something powerful. I can be just as certain when I can't see him working as when I can. That though God's footprints remain unseen, his mighty arm still leads me. For the psalmist, that truth was best illustrated by God redeeming his people through the Red Sea. Since then, we have come to learn of an even mightier act that God executed with unseen footprints. No one could see what God was doing as Israel's hope of redemption, Jesus, hung nailed to a cross. His disciples scattered They locked the door behind them. They might be next. And in the very moments they hid in fear of death, Jesus, in his death, defeated death. The disciples could only see a day of trouble. Heaven, meanwhile, was experiencing deja vu as they watched the same sun who parted the waters make a way for broken sinners to live with God forever in a better promised land. The disciples could not see God nailing our sin debt to the cross, sin that was a bigger obstacle to freedom than the Red Sea. The disciples could not see God disarming Satan of his power, an enemy far more fearsome than Pharaoh. The disciples could not see God leading them by the nail-pierced hands of his son, hands far more reliable than Moses and Aaron's. They couldn't see how God was working in their lives at the cross all. But hindsight is 2020. From this side of Jesus' resurrection, the cross reminds us though God's footprints remain unseen, 
his mighty arm still leads me. In the day of trouble, remembering why God is worth trusting is hard. But it's worth it. If you're not a Christian, what do you seek in your day of trouble? And what do you expect out of what you seek? Humanity has invented many ways to numb pain. Some good, some bad. But if your hope for relief is in those things, there will always be a Red Sea looming they cannot part. And that is death. Jesus, however, might not offer you a painless life, but he does offer you himself. He offers you himself to lead you by the hand. Today, in your day of trouble, tomorrow, through the waters of death, and forever into paradise, where every broken person who turns from their sinful hopes and trusts in Jesus will see him face to face and then never have another sleepless night. Never again moan at the thought of God, but have only memories that make them say, what God is great like our God? God's footprints will finally be seen. And in hindsight, looking back with 2020 vision down the corridor of our troubled lives, we might even sing a song I learned once upon a time from our beloved Doris. Jesus led me all the way led me step by step each day. I will tell the saints and angels as I lay my burdens down. Jesus led me all the way. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you that though your footprints remain unseen, your mighty arm still leads us. In our days of trouble, remind us of your resume, the years of your right hand, and assure our broken hearts that you are the same loving God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Today is a day of trouble for anyone among us. Please comfort them, Father. Speak to them through Psalm 77. How even now you lead believers by the hand. And if tomorrow is a day of trouble for us, please by your spirit recall these truths from your word to our minds. May all among us 
in our neighborhood, in our city, and around the world know how awesome you are, Most High God. Be glorified. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.